Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. There were fiery exchanges in the Dáil as TDs debated a motion on immigration concerns for the first time. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing. Get your ear done. Speak through the chair. We ask, are these legitimate concerns regarding an immigration system that's not fit for purpose or an effort to tap into a growing division in Irish society? Also on the programme, representatives from most of the Irish-based social media platforms appear at an Oireachtas committee to defend their efforts to moderate content during the Dublin riots. Surely that type of thing can be stopped. Again, if it's shared on WhatsApp within the encrypted space, unless it is reported to us, we cannot take action on it. And we look at Boris Johnson's first day in front of a UK COVID-19 committee. New asylum applicants to Ireland are offered sleeping bags due to a chronic accommodation shortage. The Rural Independent Group of TDs tabled a debate on immigration concerns for the very first time in Dáil history. Amid testy exchanges, the Rural Independents called for a cap to be put on the number of asylum seekers being allowed into Ireland, along with stricter migration legislation. Well, the Dáil came close to being suspended on a number of occasions during a heated debate. Here's a flavour of it. It should be absolutely clear to all but the most willfully blind that there is no longer a mere disconnect between government and our people on the issues of immigration, migration and asylum. It specifically raises concerns about the large number of non-Ukrainian asylum seekers, many of whom are single males from safe countries of origin. You are raising temperatures and raising tension and raising fear in local communities. They know exactly the what they're doing I when they're linking immigration with criminal. I speak the chair or I'm going to collapse the house. It's as simple as that. I he want can't to help it. He's a there must person. Be order. Well, joining me to discuss this are Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly, Labour TD Jed Nash, Rural Independent TD Danny Healy-Ray and Lucky Kambula from the Movement of <coughs> Asylum Seekers in Ireland. They're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. I want to come to you first, Danny Healy-Ray, because it was you and your colleagues that brought this motion before the Dáil. Specifically, what are your concerns? Why did you feel the need to do it? Well, yes, um, of course, we did bring the motion to the Dáil today because we've been looking for and asking the government for quite a while now to have a debate uh, on on immigration and and how it is affecting uh, people in local areas. And mm. I talk from my own uh, county of Kerry and uh, Killarney. And um, what we're asking for, and we've been asking this of the minister uh, for a long time, is that mm. when they intend to bring people to uh, a residential area, wherever it is, in, most usually in Silent Town or whatever, uh, that that there's proper consultation, meaningful consultation, 
taking place uh, before they come. And uh, we had a situation uh, in the Munkris Road uh, where uh, we now have 77 uh, asylum seekers, men, single men, in 22 rooms. Now, um, we, there was a public meeting held uh, when the rumour came. We got an email just the day before, the day before that meeting, that this was going to happen in uh, Killarney. And there was a meeting called by residents. There was over 300 people there. And one of the things they asked me to do was to ask uh, uh, the Minister, Roderick O'Gallman, to meet... Right. Just specifically, the, the motion was asking, calling for a cap, wasn't it? Yes. It was specifically calling but for a cap. So, what, I mean, the issue of public consultation is one thing, but you were specifically mm. uh, calling for a cap to be put on the number of asylum seekers able to come to Ireland, along with stricter migration legislation. Uh, you said that you welcomed uh, Ukrainians uh, to the country here, and your motion was primarily about non-Ukrainian asylum seekers. Uh, you have been accused of linking immigration and criminality. And that's what we heard in the Dáil today from, from Jed Nash's colleague, Aona Reardon, and we've heard it from elsewhere as well. Do you accept that it could be seen as dangerous and inflammatory? No, I don't. I mean, honest, open and fair debate shouldn't be stifled. And it has been stifled, we believe, for many months now, because there are <clears throat> concerns out there. And I'm meeting people daily. I'm never at home. I'm always out when I'm down in Kerrick. And I'm meeting people daily, daily that are raising their concerns. But when you're so not talking, just when you're not talking about Ukrainians, but you're talking about unvetted male migrants, can you see the racial framing there? The, the, what I'm saying to you here, clear and, and loud as I can, is that all people that are being housed in this state should be vetted. Full stop. If any local person... Get, is allocated a council house, they have to be vetted before they get into it. So whether it is from and the... the and the argument that there is a process in place to vet people, and that is the international protection <clears throat> application process. Well, uh, that's not what we're hearing. And we don't know... We, the, the people in the Mucris Road uh, that uh, are worried about what's happening in the Harmony Inn mm. right beside them, they're concerned that they don't know they don't know where they that they are have are, are being vetted, where they come from, how many different countries. They're asking very reasonable All questions. Right. Okay, um, let's get Pauline in here. Um, the accusation to the government, as well, given that this is the first debate that's taken place on immigration concerns, is that this discussion has been silenced, um, and there are genuine concerns. Danny uh, is saying there from people in his community and his constituency that have not been addressed. What do you say to that? I think, it's, I think it's quite clear that what Danny is attempting to do now is to reframe what he brought uh, before the Dáil. And I think we have to be, we have to be really clear that um, I meet with people all of the time. I'm sure we all meet with people all of the time. And, and in fact, I, I'm meeting people across Midlands Northwest at the moment in the European... Um, in the run-up to the Europeans, and people are not using the kind of incendiary language that is being used by some of these rural independents. I think that we have to have honest debate, <clears throat> but it's not something that should be stoking fear about a system that actually um, does 
um, look at mm. where people are coming from, their needs, and there's a system in a matter of weeks to, to make a decision as to whether somebody is granted asylum. So therefore, or not do you think this is, this, is, this is good to have this conversation and to do so in the Dáil Chamber? There have been lots, now let's be really clear, there have been lots of conversations, but I think that, um, you know, as a, as a nation, we, we do need to have more conversations about um, immigration. This, this is something that is going to be ongoing. Um, <coughs> <clears throat> and the, I suppose, you know, we've been accepted into other countries and we have to accept that it's actually quite a small number of people in international protection in Ireland um, comparatively. And I think stoking this and pitting people who are coming to our country against each other is a really dangerous place to be. And I think that D Danny, unfortunately, seems to be slipping into this quite radical space and I think people need to be aware of that. Okay. Uh, um, Jed, to come to you, um, Aon Oerdhan today dismissed <clears throat> the debate and we heard the clip there earlier as the lowest common denominator politics from a lowest common denominator political group. He referred to it entirely um, as political opportunism on behalf of the rural independents, saying it's a case of be afraid of the outsider, mm. uh, vote for me. Is that not stifling um, a conversation that Pauline would say, you know, maybe you, you, you can talk about this and that it shouldn't be prevented from discussing this in the thought. Well, I, I'm, I'm up for a conversation uh, and a dialogue uh, on um, migration uh, in Ireland. Um, migration, broadly, generally speaking, has enriched our country. Mm. It's enriched our society. Uh, it's enriched our culture. It's enriched our economy. Uh, our public services simply would not exist stretched and all as they are, without workers from outside of Ireland making an enormous contribution uh, to our health service and to other important uh, public services. And Danny Healy Ray, Michael Healy Ray and others in the rural independent group tend to articulate this through a supposed concern about public services. This is the first time that I've heard Danny and his colleagues express concerns about stretched public services. And it is always through the lens of immigration. And that's a fact. I want to read out to you, and this is important, where Danny Healy Ray is coming from, because on five occasions over the last few weeks, these are some of the contributions he made. And Danny had mentioned Mowcross Road in Kerry. On this 22nd of November, two weeks ago, they, they have landed now, and the women and girls that used to walk the Mowcross Road morning, noon and night will all stop doing that. We do not know where these, these are coming from, who they are or what record they have. Dehumanising people. On the 25th of October, he said, and I quote, this is on the dull record. The other thing is that people looking for asylum here commit serious crime. Now, that's the agenda. They've made a political calculation that there are votes in this. And as my colleague Aaron O'Reardon said today, very clearly, he articulated very well, there are more important things than votes. Yeah. Uh, a cynical exercise um, we're hearing from Sorry, Jed Nash I, and others in the Dáil. I mean, it was w widely rounded upon, it, it has to be said, even though the discussion was had, there was an awful lot of criticism directed at rural independence over that. What would you say specifically to that allegation about linking uh, migrants with criminality? Well, I know one minute, he, 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 we, we must be clear, he said another thing there that, that I have to rebut because uh, he's saying that we wouldn't have, be able to operate our public services or many of the jobs that we have if we didn't have uh, foreign people. I welcome those people. 
I employed one of those people maybe about 15 years ago from Ukraine. And his name was Bozo. He drove a machine for me for two years. A great man. And, and I appreciate those workers. So who do but you this, not welcome? This, this is the, look, I welcome everyone. Being, being de- not. I, I didn't interrupt you now one minute. No, but there is simple things that must be put in place. They must be vetted. And like, all right, they don't have the documents with them when they come. But they should be able to produce them in, in six weeks or two months. They have these forms. I don't have the modern forms. What's the critical? Can I ask what the critical? Because we, 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 we hear about this on vetted male migrants, and, and you've said it several times. We heard it in the doll today. We're hearing it here again tonight. The, the critical concern that you have about uh, vetting, when, it, when as a process, vetting does happen, but it can't happen immediately. Well, that's fine, but it needs to happen. But we're not sure when these, when, when these people come, and I'll just say to you, to see, there was terrible incidents happened in Killarney yep. over a year ago. And the, the inside, where they had 300 of these okay. ma- male people. All right. There, there were stabbings, and they had to be okay. taken away in, in Gandhi cars, and there was doctors and ambulances there. Are you saying that the people of Killarney and, and, right, and uh, right to be afraid uh, the park road where people used to walk and all around down Woodlawn. Well, people and, have a right, maybe have a right or maybe have concerns about an awful lot well, of aspects very intimidating of, of clear society. To have four I, or five I want, of I want these to just bring gentlemen in, I'd like to bring in Lucky at this point. On her own walking and right. meeting four or five of them together and rows of them. Uh, Lucky Kambule, I'd like to bring you in at this point because you are a representative of, of asylum seekers here tonight. And it's very important, I think, to get your viewpoint on this thing as it's being discussed in the Dáil Chamber and uh, in, in studio tonight. How do you view what you've heard Danny saying there about concerns that people have about unvetted male migrants? Because you would have arrived here as an unvetted male migrant. Well... Let me just say that it's so uh, unfortunate and disappointing to hear such uh, uh, words coming from senior people about people that come here seeking for safety and uh, talking about not being vetted. So we have heard a lot of these noises coming from the far right shouting for people to go back home. And to me, there is no difference to what I'm hearing to what we have been hearing from the far right. So if we are not careful, it looks like we are bringing the far right right into the doll. And people need to understand that there is what we call International Protection Act that governs how the system works here in Ireland. There is also a uh, EU directive which the island signed to, which clearly outlines how an asylum seeker is processed. When you talk about people are not vetted, that system is is robust. That system is, is not easy for people to go through that. It is in place and we it looks like the likes of Danny don't respect that system. Do you believe it's a system that works in terms of its efficiency uh, and how quickly processes is gone through and how quickly decisions are made on people who arrive into the country? Well, there's no system that is 100%, okay? But it has been revamped over the years. 
Hence, they introduced the 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 one uh, the what they call it the one for all application, you know, single application process. The reason why they they, they brought that system was to fast track that system because previously people would wait three, four, five years, up to ten years. Now it has been shortened. You know, okay. it's 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 not. But we haven't, I mean, we still have direct provision and that's been, you know, one of the criticisms that there is a white paper and actually it's due to end, I think, direct provision in four weeks. Is that right, Pauline? Well, um, in the in the next uh, couple of weeks, we will see a new white paper and... Um, but, but no end to direct but I, provision, but I, despite I, a discussion I, about this, you know, I stretching think, back more than a decade. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, certainly when we went into government, we it was, it was a plan to end direct provision. And I think that everybody has to recognise that uh, the system was under significant strain with uh, the, the um, you know, the Russian attack against Ukraine. And that's just a reality. But that's actually, a reality the system was under strain well I, before I, that. I absolutely agree with you. And I'm that's not, 2022. I absolutely agree with you. And this has been you. talked about for, which, for years. Which is exactly why we wanted to end direct provision. But you can't end a system when then you're, you're on top of another issue that's arisen. There's no doubt but that I will expect in that white paper to see... Um, you know, to see something that is addressing all of the issues and a new way, I think, of accommodating people that's not reliant on private um, property and private mm -hmm. enterprise. And that can still happen, right. I believe, even um, even in this situation that we're, we're facing. But, but, but look, like, let's be really, really honest about this. The actual numbers in terms of international protection are relatively low. We're talking about 26,000. And yet, what <clears throat> we're getting is this spin, this political spin. But, but now, and, I will, I will put it to you. you. You say the numbers are relatively low, but we have a case now that 62 people who arrived into this Absolutely. country between today and yesterday are being put in tents. Uh, They're being handed tents Absolutely. in a sleeping bag and, and told and to I, sleep on and the I street. Do, and I think so even relatively low, we're not able to put them through the system properly. But we have to separate out things and, and stop talking <clears throat> about the two as if it's the same conversation because that's playing into this okay. far-right um, discussion that Danny and his ilk wants us to now go into. And I think it's a okay, dangerous so you, place to I, be. I'd like to get you... What do you, what do, you do about this? Because there was an awful lot of concern expressed in the Dáil today about where this <clears throat> conversation is going and that minority groups and, and you know, Lucky would attest to that fear because of far-right sentiment enabled perhaps by hate and misinformation and everything that you're hearing yeah. in the Dáil today. Yeah. That, that's your argument. So what are you, what are you going to do about it, Jeff? Well, 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 hate and misinformation you, that you expect to see uh, from social media companies, and we'll discuss that later on and what needs to be done. But what we actually saw today in the Dáil was hatred, division, um, far-right language, far-right tropes, the kind of stuff that we've been hearing from uh, Danny uh, and others over the last period of time in a calculated way because they believe that there are votes in this. We probably should not be surprised about this, given that they've been on the are wrong side of many are there votes in it? over the last period. And Ireland has changed. Ireland has are changed. there votes in it, Jed, Danny, do you think? Danny and his colleagues opposed the marriage equality referendum. Danny and his colleagues opposed the abortion referendum. Danny and his colleagues opposed practically every progressive change. The political many parties fear party. or they worry? Opposed, for example, the living Jed, wage. Jed, can uh, I ask you, do, do political parties fear or worry, or is it a focus that there are votes in the, the, the immigration question? No, 
as I said at the outset... I mean, that's what I, the polls I, would indicate. I, I, I'm prepared, and, and, and yes, we ought to have a conversation, because it is an important social issue in this country. We have a relatively small uh, amount of immigration into Ireland over many, many decades, and that's changed in recent years for a variety of different re reasons. Spe specifically, there's climate, there's a pressures in terms of war and conflict. Uh, we have an obligation, we are members of the international community, or we are not. We are a liberal democracy, and I'm pleased that we are. We are a welcoming place. And the fact is that many of the people in the rural independent group, for example, those who constantly uh, berate uh, this country, have opposed every progressive measure that has ever been taken over the last few years. They're the people with the biggest black crosses on their heads every Ash Wednesday, claiming to be Christian. But in fact, the positions Danny, they adopt are far from Christian, far from compassionate and far from humane. Uh, Danny, briefly on that and your priorities all, around, of this, around this. First of all, I do, do believe in God. And uh, I'm not like others that think they're the gods. But, and the other thing I want to say to Claire, because I, 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 I really uh, don't want to be connected in any way to the far right. I have nothing to do with the far right. And those people that he called the far right or whoever is that and, and the criticism, they, they, they and the criticism that the and tone and language used you give them in the conversation the is enabling I, yeah, the I'm not going to trying to blame me for that, though, but they, they, we, we, we in a small place have over 9,000 refugees and asylum seekers. 38% of the hospitality beds in Killarney, which is primarily a tourist town, are taken up by refugees and asylum well, seekers. And the other thing, and, and just let me finish, there's a lot of issues in relation to the rates of social welfare that okay. have been paid to, to the Ukraine. Okay, and the so Russians. the Ukraine. And so you're bringing, you're bringing up the Ukrainians. Oh, right. so we are at a time. All I'm asking here is that the so same rates of social okay, welfare and the okay. same benefits right. that are afforded to the refugees now yeah. be afforded to okay, all had, people. That's what I'm asking. We are going to have to leave that discussion there for now because we're out of time on it, unfortunately. Um, but do stay with us because coming up, social media companies defend their response to last month's riot in Dublin city centre. Welcome back. Social media companies have been defending their response to last month's riot in Dublin city centre, appearing in front of an Oireachtas media committee. Representatives from Meta, Google and TikTok answered questions about how they responded to that night's events as they unfolded. But joining Senator Pauline O'Reilly and Labour TD Jed Nash, our Irish independent tech columnist, Adrian Weckler and John Purcell from the Independent Broadcasters of Ireland. You're welcome along to the programme. Adrian, to come to you first, remind us why... Um, these social media platforms were hauled up before the media committee in relation to their response and concerns over their response to events of the 23rd of November. Yes, yeah, so an awful lot of the organisation, an awful lot of the... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Response from the crowds and the mobs that gathered on that Thursday night in Dublin were because of the social media platforms, in particular WhatsApp, Telegram, and to a lesser extent X, which was formerly called Twitter. X decided not to bother to turn up today. Today's Oireachtas hearing, we had Meta, which owns Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp, and we had TikTok, and we had Google. What the session tried to do was to ask the big platforms about their response to what happened on that Thursday night and also how they tackle disinformation and misinformation in general and how, how they handle dangerous situations. It was who wasn't there mm. really that overshadowed proceedings today, wasn't it? Because X declined an invitation, yes. said that they would answer questions privately or in yeah. writing, but not willing to show up. No, it was two fingers from Elon Musk uh, to the Oireachtas uh, procedure. And it's not really surprising. Musk has been fairly uh, repeatedly um, showed his disdain for the Irish political system, mm-hmm. Irish political parties. He claims that the Taoiseach hates Ireland, all of that stuff. Um, he has no intention of sending anybody to to this hearing. Uh, X has disbanded most of its trust and safety team. So that a what, real that... growing rift there, actually, between a social media platform which has a, a HQ here and employs a, a lot of people, yeah. and the government so welcoming of big tech. Yes, very much so. Um, uh, Musk has his own views on who should run the countries. He, he believes Conor McGregor would be a great choice, and, and other things. I'm not here to. Obviously, there's nobody from X here to comment uh, on this, so uh, it's not up to me to, uh, to you know, to, to, to castigate Elon Musk that much. But they didn't turn up. The other platforms did. Um, we did learn some things about what they do and how they tackle misinformation and disinformation. We learned about the number of moderators they had. We didn't learn an awful lot more. They didn't really give us examples of the kind of misinformation that they tackle, uh, bar a few instances which included um, a trope of uh, the army on the streets of Dublin. But not much more uh, in the way of detail there. Um, Jed, when it comes to this, what questions do you think need to be answered? Because I was struck by the fact that you have these... um, social media platforms up in front of the Justice Committee, a panel of politicians, and what can politicians actually compel them to do? Well, th- this is part of the problem, and as Adrian knows fine well, given the area he reports on, his area of expertise, uh, governments and regulators are always way behind uh, the um, industry uh, in this regard. Uh, and there may very well um, be a reluctance, and this is, this is a point I'll make, reluctance on behalf of uh, the state uh, to go too hard uh, on social media companies uh, because of the very fact that they are significant employers here, uh, contribute enormously to our corporation tax base and our income tax base because of the good jobs uh, that they um, that they host. I mean, these are organisations in some respects that are run is by Is it in our gift, oligarchs. though? Is it in our gift um, or is it beyond us as a country? It, it, it is. Is it a EU decision on regulations here? I mean, these are such vast organisations now outsized organisations that have such an enormous influence on democracy, Mm -hmm. uh, on elections, which is something that's going to be very critical over the next um, 12 months, 
uh, huge influence on markets, uh, huge influence on, on commerce. And I think there's actually an argument, given the scale of these organisations, uh, how they operate, uh, and concerns that I would have on others, that in fact the European Union could possibly look at, in fact, using antitrust laws to break up some of these companies, separate them out, uh, because regulation is way behind. I mean, the, the advances that they've made over the years are, are quite incredible. Uh, nobody fully understands, right. those of us not experts, what it is they do. Uh, and we're on the firing line. And society will suffer if they're not sufficiently regulated. That is a huge challenge. And right. I don't underestimate that. Uh, John, to bring you in on this, um, you know, you're speaking here for the independent broadcasters of Ireland and it all comes down to how we are informing ourselves, where we are getting our information from. Do you believe that the news ecosystem is under threat? Jed mentioned there about elections and, and the influence then that social media platforms have to play to play in you know big political events um, and how you know the public are, are skewed in a word it is under threat yes um, the the environment for verifiable facts for people uh, checking with sources to make sure the the information the broadcast is accurate and truthful that is very much under threat uh, traditional journalism the the business model is breaking down. I mean, I had to wonder today what kind of hall of mirrors I'd stumbled into when I heard the uh, representative from Google saying they're committed to fighting the spread of misinformation online on the same day that I learned that the Taunishta is having to go to the High Court uh, to try and address abuse of his image in advertising, which is on the exact same uh, platform as is uh, saying they're committed to the spread of misinformation. For too long, this has gone on. Um, for a long time, uh, keyboard warriors were dismissed. I think the line has been jumped and we're seeing the effects of the total unregulated uh, operations of these online and social media companies have real world effects. And I think it threatens our democracy. It threatens our social cohesion and it has very negative effects. But the worrying thing is the worst is yet to come. There are local and European elections coming next. And after that, there will be general elections. We've seen in other countries what happens where, you know, Cambridge Analytica and so on. We have to be careful it's coming here. Yeah, I mean, like the warnings have been there for a long time, Pauline. The criticism of government is that we've been uh, lax and you've been behind the times on this one. And now the horse is bolted. Well, I mean, for, first what I'd say is I would disagree. We all have our own theories as to, you know, wh what's happening. But I would disagree that um, that government doesn't want to act because actually, like, I certainly can feel the sticky fingers of Elon Musk all over, uh, you know, and, and, and jumping in when I say something or, or other colleagues and, and pushing, trying to push a narrative that um, is incorrect. So I think... Really, we do want to act, and it is about how you do that. Misinformation is probably not that easy to deal with. And um, but I, what I will say is, Commission Man has been set up now, and we'll have the safety codes um, published within the next couple of weeks. So there is a lot happening, um, and we'll see the proof of pudding though is in the eating, and right. we will see this come really into play in February. But Okay. I think I think we do have to worry we, we about will, the election. And we will discuss this further after the break. Um, do stay with us. We're going to return for more on this. And we're also going to talk about Boris Johnson, who faced a grilling in front of the UK COVID-19 inquiry. Stay with us.
Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion on social media platforms and their handling of content during the recent Dublin riots. Um, Adrian, to come to you on this, it was interesting that Meta said it removed 1,000 pieces of information from Facebook, I think, in the first half or, you know, a, po a portion of this year. Um, do you think that's under-moderating? Well, that was a very specific tranche of uh, content that they removed. They do remove other types of content, harassment and, and bullying and, and, and stuff like that. So that's what they would say about that. What concerns me a little bit more is what came out of the Oireachtas uh, hearing today was we know that there are individuals and committees within TikTok, Meta and Google who actually decide humans who make the call on whether individual bits of high-profile, high-octane, incendiary content statements, Conor McGregor-style stuff, the type of stuff that he is, whether they cross the line or not. I was disappointed that the TDs and senators didn't pursue that because there are like that's going to be really important next year in the election. It's going to be a very, very volatile election with some of the topics that are floating uh, around at the moment and it could cross the line on several occasions. And from a social media point of view, from a big tech point of view, I think we should have a discussion and interrogate more who is responsible for making those decisions. Yeah, who's moderating the and moderators? The criteria? What is the criteria? Now, they will say they have the Digital Services Act, they've got EU regulation, we now have Commission Naman. That's all completely fair. And the tech companies always say, tell us what to do, tell us how to, to guide this discussion. But there is still more to it than that. And I would look for a greater, deeper interrogation uh, of those issues. Yeah, at the end of the day, uh, like Jed, it comes down to editorial calls mm. on behalf of individual moderators mm. on this. It does, yeah. And um, organisations that aren't under the same legal obligations, for example, as John's organisations are, the Independent Broadcasting, Broadcast of Ireland Network, uh, legal obligations um, and... That's only right and proper uh, that, that they are. We have another layer to this as well. When we look at next year's elections, we have two referendums taking place uh, in March. We have the June local European elections and subsequent to that, we will have a general election, which will be very, very important in terms of the direction and the future, uh, future direction of, of this country. Um, and we have the Electoral Commission in place now, an independent Electoral Commission, something that we've all been looking for for a long, long time. They actually have, uh, legislatively speaking, provisions in the Act setting up the Electoral Commission to give them some responsibility at election time for making interventions with platforms okay. to have uh, misinformation, so disinformation be on stream? taken down. Um, and we're interested to see now, and we can only really assess this in real time, for example, if somebody decides that they are pretending to be me uh, with a message that I would never communicate through an AI system or whatever the case might be on X, Facebook, Instagram or whatever the case might be, uh, it would be my, out of the opportunity to report that to the Electoral Commission, they're supposed to take that down. We don't know how that's going to operate. It's there in law, uh, you know, that would be a real-time situation and it needs to function if our elections are to continue to be fair and if debate is going to continue it to be balanced. It does appear to be a case of suck it and see. Well, like, I, I mean, I, as I, in, as in, where is the kind of, no, you know, the, the the strategy here? Do you think that there, because the criticism has been that there's a lack of urgency up no, until now, there, and now we're in this situation that there's a sharp focus on what's happening and, and the absolute, dangers. There's absolute urgency, but tackling misinformation is not an easy thing. But I do think, yeah, that's and we've what, heard that. Yeah, but what I do think is really um, important, and us certainly, I know from the masses of abuse that I get, that. Um, the delay in t tackling that by these organisations is really what causes the damage. 
even if they eventually take it down, it's the amount of damage that's so been caused you, in the meantime. are we in the putting enough pressure on these organisations? Well, well I, think, I think that not enough pressure is obviously applied today in the Iraqis Committee, that's for one thing, but I also think Commission Naman actually, actually being an organisation... Why do you that, think that is? Just because that's, that's been the criticism that we are, we are soft on big tech. Because there's so many jobs. At I stake. know. I mean, Iraqis Committee is not. It's it's you know it's it's right across the board. Most it's not them, government. Most it's, of them didn't know how to use TikTok. I mean, TikTok were there. Only one TD, I think, in the in the room actually uses TikTok. Well, part of the problem, John. To the urgency. I, I get that the government is talking about urgency. The Taoiseach, and it was very welcome. You know, recognised the uh, value of independent media and independent radio in particular yesterday in the Dáil. He announced funding had been agreed by the cabinet for two schemes, but on for, one of which is the local democracy reporting. As it stands, that ain't going to be in place in time for the forthcoming elections. We'll be talking about bolting the stable door after the horse has bolted. So it needs to be even more urgent, unfortunately, because tech moves very quickly and the stakes are so high. I mean, do you think in local radio you can get there ahead of social media platforms and how they disseminate information and how it spreads so quickly? And Absolutely, we've seen that yeah. the area there of are misinformation. Many times that we surface stories and break dozens of stories, uh, but the problem uh, we do so in a responsible way, in a balanced way, an impartial way. We have many different codes, such as protection of the public interest, prevention of harm, uh, you know, a, a wide variety of codes, the obligations of fairness and balance, the obligations of the Broadcasting Act and so on. We have a network in place at the moment that works well, but it's under pressure and it is a really important political issue. We're all agreed the forthcoming elections are of critical importance. They could be a turning point, but what way the turn is going to go is yet to be decided. All right, we'll have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Adrian and to John. Um, well, in other news today, um, at times emotional, Boris Johnson faced a grilling over his handling of the pandemic, appearing in front of the UK COVID-19 inquiry. The former British Prime Minister was interrupted by protesters at the start as he attempted to apologise for mistakes that he had made during that time. My lady, can I just say how glad I am to be at this uh, inquiry and uh, how sorry I am for the, the pain and the loss and the suffering sit down. of please, the please stop. COVID stop. victims. Please sit down. Please sit down or I'm afraid you'll have to leave the hearing room. Well, earlier I spoke to Lucy Fisher, Whitehall editor with the Financial Times, and I began by asking her what we learned from his appearance today. Well, look, I was struck uh, at the mistakes he accepted he and his government made, that they vastly underestimated the severity of the pandemic in the early phase, that the government was incoherent in that early stage of the pandemic and that he himself was bewildered by the scientific uh, evidence and data that he was being presented with in that early phase. I think that he admitted to, owned up to, however you want to, to describe it, to several specific mistakes, including shaking the hands of patients with COVID in March 2020 and also allowing the Cheltenham Festival horse racing event to go ahead um, as a mass gathering in the early stages, something that was later regarded as a super spreader event. And we saw um, the apology there, but was he pushed hard on what he was actually apologising for? And how did he respond to that? 
Well, you're absolutely right. Um, yes, he made this with kind of grave uh, tone and demeanour, this big unreserved apology for mistakes made. Um, but as you say, uh, Hugo Keith, uh, the KC, the lead counsel in the inquiry, was quick to sort of pick up on the lack of specifics in that uh, apology and to ask Boris Johnson exactly what he was apologising for. He rather stumbled in his answer, sort of grasping um, for an explanation of what exactly he, he meant and ended up giving a rather niche um, answer about the impact of devolution uh, on, the uh, on the handling of the pandemic. He explained how um, sometimes conflicting or slightly divergent messages coming out of Scotland and Wales, uh, contradicted messaging coming out of the Westminster government, and that that had been a difficulty because, of course, uh, Downing Street communication was one of the tools available to the government to try and curb the transmission of the virus. But overall, if you step back, it seemed a slightly bizarre answer when asked what exactly he was apologising for. So at one point, he did actually fight back tears, didn't he? He appeared overwhelmed while he was giving this testimony. Was there any sense of responsibility or contrition from him? Well, look, I think there was to, to a certain extent. Uh, you could see that the emotion at several junctures, as, as you mentioned, I think he did accept that mistakes were made. But, you know, whenever it came to the idea of the buck stopping with him, he rejected that. You know, he rejected the testimony of his former colleagues, uh, former officials who have told the inquiry to date that his leadership um, was lacking and that he himself was incompetent as prime minister. Um, he rejected any sense that a toxic culture in Downing Street was linked to him, uh, although he did say he didn't condone um, the kind of abusive messages we've seen um, given in evidence previously in the inquiry and made clear that he had actually rang personally one individual, uh, one civil servant um, who had been uh, on the receiving end of that abuse. So you're right it, to sort of highlight, you know, how much kind of contrition, how much personal responsibility um, did he bear? He wasn't really willing to make clear the specifics when it came down to him personally. I just want to ask you about a story that is uh, breaking tonight, the resignation of the Immigration Minister, Robert Jenrick, over the contentious Rwanda bill. Uh, another blow to Rishi Sunak. What were the reasons behind him quitting? Well, look, Robert Jenrick has um, resigned in very dramatic fashion tonight um, with a letter to the Prime Minister that makes clear that he believes the emergency legislation um, designed by the government to convince the Supreme Court in the UK that its Rwanda removals policy is legal. Um, he says it doesn't go far enough. Essentially, it isn't going to work. It isn't going to do what the government says it will do, which is come up with this solution, square the circle, so that British courts um, say, that it, say that it is um, uh, legal and so that it is uh, within uh, and keeping with the European Court of Rights. That doesn't present another barrier to it. He says it doesn't go far enough, it won't do that, and so he has decided to quit. It's a really big blow um, to Rishi Sunak uh, at a moment of danger for him. Immigration is hugely important to the UK public at large, um, polling shows, but particularly to the Conservative uh, electorate. Um, there's a YouGov, the pollster keeps a tracker of the issues that are most important to specific parties, and that shows that immigration is even more important than the economy and the NHS to 2019 Tory voters. Whitehall Editor with the Financial Times, Lucy Fisher, thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. Thank you.
Well, let's return to our panel. I'm still joined by Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly and Labour TD Jed Nash. Um, and I suppose all eyes here really now, look, we, we've heard the testimony of Boris Johnson and others before him, but let's talk about what we're doing with regards our own COVID inquiry. Uh, we heard from Stephen Donnelly that we'll get an announcement on a date soon. How soon is soon? Well, uh, neither myself or Jed are in, in Cabinet, so I don't think we can, we can say that. But um, I do think it's important. Surely there's been party discussion around this, I do this, think it's though. important to have it. But I, th I think let's also, you know, whatever people may feel about the government, I think one thing that is very different here than in the UK is that there was general broad acceptance that even if you know, not everything might have gone as smoothly as you'd want. Overall, people did get behind the actions that were taken. Were we, we really all in this together? I, I, I mean, I, we were for a while. I think but, towards, but, the, but I twi that, think towards the end, it's... Forget it, about a lot of criticisms that were also there about school closures, about services closing down for people with disabilities, yeah. about the nursing homes and how that was managed in the early part of this COVID crisis? I, as, as, as I said, I think it's really important to have it, but I do think it's we're in a different position than the UK was. But I mean, let's look at the PISA results for Ireland yesterday, showed that Ireland actually, compared to other countries um, that really took a dip in educational attainment during COVID, Ireland hasn't, it's, you know, it's, it's increased. So mm. there's definitely a lot, a lot of issues. I think there's going to be, a, a, you know, a mark there on young people as we go forward. But I think what we really need to be doing is not have this us against them kind of conversation, but actually an honest conversation about in this kind of a difficult situation, okay. what are the things that need to be in place? Forward planning. For, fu for okay. future events. All right. Should, is, should that be the kind of the form and the focus? Um, what this looks like next time it comes around, Jed? Yeah, because I mean, there was a view that this would be <clears throat> once in a century experience that may very well not be the case. And we can't make the assumption that it will. So we need to be prepared. And we do have to have a proper interrogation uh, in public uh, of what we did well, uh, what we could do better, uh, how we compare against the responses of other uh, states we like to compare ourselves against. Uh, and we do need, I think, a form of Are there key priorities or questions you'd be asking? Uh, yeah, I mean, as you said yourself, I mean, you know, was there a requirement, for example, to, to close then schools uh, for the period that schools were closed? Our teachers, by the way, performed admirably in very, very difficult circumstances, gone above and beyond the call of duty to continue to engage with students, especially vulnerable students. You know, questions as well around, you know, the function of, of our health service. Obviously, the primary responsibility was to get a hold of the virus, deal with those who are exceptionally ill. Uh, and save as many lives as we possibly could in a very, very difficult set of circumstances. But one thing I think that we need to have a particular discreet look at, and I think we need, in fact, a full commission of inquiry in this, is the response of our nursing homes. The nursing home in my own constituency where many, many people uh, died. It was taken over, in fact, by the HSE, lock, stock and barrel early on in the pandemic. And there are very serious questions that right. families of loved ones, who, you know, people who lost li their lives there, need, need, need answers to those questions. And that can only be All done right. in a formal commission of inquiry. OK, we're going to have to leave that there for now. Um, we are awaiting a date, but uh, we'll keep across it. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can find us on social media platforms, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, but from all the late team here, good night. Do take care.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.